0: We are in a series right now called "Never Enough." And uh, we're going to talk today specifically on the subject of emptiness. So being that it's Fourth of July week, I figured let's go ahead and show, you know, a, a, a video of those people shoving hot dogs down their throat on 4th of July every year. So watch this as we think about emptiness.: And he will fight at any cost for its cause) until his spine collapses under the burden in six minutes. Ranked number 13 at 74 years of age. Ranked number three in the world, 13 world records. Three, two, one, go! They are off for the 102nd iteration of the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. There's a time clock for a reason. You never know what's gonna happen. A legend already. The legend continues. Number 11 for Joey Chestnut. A new world record. 74 Nathan's Famous hot dogs at five. So here's what's so ironic about that video. Do you think they had dinner that night? Or at least breakfast the next morning. Yes or no? Yes, they did. You know why? They were hungry, right? Even though they shoved 74 hot dogs down their mouth hole, they still, they still were going to eat again. And that just blows my mind. It's like, if I have 74 hot dogs, I'm done for life. But no, that's not how it works. Why? Because it's never enough. We will eat and eat and eat, and there will never be a day where I'm like, you know what? I'm done. I'm done eating. And on that day is probably the day you die. And I think about this castle. This, we're keeping this from the VBS up here because it fits right in with, we will continue to try and build bigger and bigger things. And maybe someday we're living in that castle in the picture. I love that picture. But you know what you would think if you were in that castle The Wi-Fi is a little sketchy, yeah? You'd be like, ah, it's a little drafty here at times. I wish it wasn't so cold. Or if you're like me, it's like, man, this lawn, how am I going to mow this lawn? It's so big. And we'd always continue to think, I just wish I had something else. It's never enough. And if we're honest, that's how we live this life. And we continue to move that way constantly, even though we have example after example of people reaching the pinnacles of heights in their field, telling us how awful it is, and we still run after it. So weird. There is not these physical, uh, emotional, social, or spiritual things you will reach to satisfy you. And the spiritual one, we we have to be careful in that one too that we continue to try and get answers and get to that spot where we're finally going to understand, and then it will be enough. Even that one can leave you wanting more. So as we look at this book, Ecclesiastes, I love this book. And maybe that says something about me because it's a very negative book. It's a little bit dark, but I kind of like it because it helps us to understand what this world is like and what we're sitting in. And the writer wants you to stay there. The writer does not quickly jump to Jesus and the abundant life and all that God brings. The writer sits in this never enough theme for many chapters. In fact, you have to think of this book, how it was originally intended and how it was written. So the chapters and verses, all that came way later. These books were written as stories to give a message, to give a warning, to give direction. But it's a story, and it's a big story. And a lot of the books of the Bible are this way. We start to take the Bible and we splice it up because we really like certain verses. And we pull those verses out and we're like, that's our daily bread. That's our daily prayer. And we enjoy it. But that's like eating crumbs from the meal that God was giving you. And it's great. Chapters and verses work great for church because we can say right where to go. Everyone jumps in. They understand where we are. But the truth is how they were originally written were these stories and they're long stories to explain an idea that we have to take and move with it and understand it. So I say that all to kind of start you off. This chapter one, chapter two, it's not a nice bow ending chapter. It's dark, it's difficult, and it speaks to the never enough that this world is that, that we're in. And so, read it that way, sit in it, and don't quickly dismiss it and move on because the God and the Jesus and all that stuff, that's out there. And even these, this book ends with some of that. But I want you to start here in chapter one, understanding what emptiness means and how we can end up so empty in this world. In fact, the more successful you are, this is what's so ironic the more successful you are, the more you may feel empty. Many times people reach these ladders and that they're climbing and they get to the top and they say, ah, this is not what I thought it was going to be. And they feel emptier than when they didn't know and when they were at the bottom just kind of moving through it. This is a story of emptiness. There's many different areas it hits our life. The first one, this is in your notes, is the educational field. We chase after diplomas that have very fancy titles and all kinds of of words that we can barely say behind it. And we get these things, and we are so excited that we finally completed, only to find that, okay, now what? There's, there's got to be more than this. And so then we're told about marriage and family, marriage and family, marriage and family. You always have to have this family because that's what life's all about. And if we're honest, there's times when we step back and go, you know, I have a spouse, and I have kids, and I still feel like something's missing. And that's a weird feeling because you, you almost feel guilty because all you've been told was this is what it's about. And yet when we have it, there's those times where we step back and go, man, there's got to be more than this. Why would I still feel a little empty? And work, work's an easy one because we push to these goals and these accolades and we, we get the credit for reaching this point and we're happy in that moment. And then it goes away and then we're chasing the next one. And then we're happy when we get there, and then it goes away, and we're chasing the next one. It's never enough. It just continues to move. And then there's this point where we get to retirement. And in retirement, we're sort of like, okay, this is when I finally, all the fruit of my labor, I get to travel and enjoy life a little bit. But how many people do you know who, when they retired, within like six months, they were so bored that they went back to work? Because I know several people like that, where they're just like, I just didn't like it. It wasn't the feeling I thought it was going to be. It's like this game that we're all playing where we continue to run on this hamster wheel and run and run and run, trying to figure out what it is we're supposed to be doing in life. And even though we're told over and over that these things that we're running on will not make us happy, we still do it anyway. We fantasize that, you know, if I got there, if I was the one, if I was the richest man in the world right now, I would do it correctly. I want a shot at it. Because maybe I'd be a philanthropist who's willing to give so much away, and then it would con- I'd be content. Or maybe I'd backpack around the world and visit different countries, and I would enjoy the money. And they, like there's this, we always think that we will do it differently. And over and over, the Bible and those that have hit those marks tell us we don't, and we will feel empty if we push into those areas without God. If we truly don't understand what it's all about and why we're here and what this world is for. When we study Solomon, I love that it's so honest. It gives us this honest look at what the pinnacle of everything you could ever get to, what it looks like when you get there. And I love that it's in, this, in the Bible because I feel like myself, I would always wonder, maybe there is a mark. Maybe there is a number or some goal I could get to where I would feel the content feeling, and it would be enough here right now. And God shows us that it will never be enough. Solomon was the top of every list you could ever imagine. It's like Forbes magazine's top. He would be all the categories. It would be all of them wrapped up in one. His wealth went so far beyond the kind of wealth that we understand He had so much silver that it devalued silver in the world. It wasn't worth hardly anything because he had so much of it. He was a Renaissance man before that was even a thing. He was renowned around the world for his wisdom in botany, and history, philosophy, architecture, music, art, and astronomy. Solomon was Albert Einstein, Warren Buffett, and Benjamin Franklin combined. You could even throw in Caligula in there, a Caligula, because he also had. 700 wives, and 300 concubines. He tried to see if that would bring happiness. It didn't. Just ended up with a lot of mother-in-laws, if you know what I mean. World leaders, the Bible said this, world leaders would come to his feet, and it says this, it was even better than we had heard. They would sit at his feet to listen to the wisdom, and they'd walk away going, man, that was even better than I had Heard about this guy. How many times do you hear that with our world leaders today? That other world leaders come, sit at their feet just to listen to the wisdom, and they leave going, man, that was even better than I thought. You just would never see that. And this is what's happening with Solomon. He's at the top. There's no higher level you could go to, and yet he shows us over and over it was never enough. Listen to verse 2, chapter 1. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. He just starts it off with a bang, like, yes. Uh, Pastor Matthew last week talked about this, this word, hevel. The meaningless word means hevel. And if you dig into it, it means absurd. That everything that we're doing is absurd. I thought about my kids and what they would say. They would say it like this, Dad, this is stupid. That's how they would say it. And I can see them saying it, Dad, this is so stupid, we're chasing after things and stuff and all this. It just seems so stupid, and that's what this book pushes into—how foolish it is, and all the ladders and things that we're chasing. Everything is hevel, meaningless, chasing after the wind, stupid. So Solomon walks us through each one of these areas. He starts off with wisdom. Look at verse 13: "I applied my mind to study and explore by wisdom." So wisdom's interesting. We are told several other places in the Bible how important wisdom is. Proverbs is full of wisdom verses. And this concept of a world we live in is actually built around knowledge and wisdom and school. It's all about, okay, the more you learn, the better off you will be. The more you know, the better things will be in your life. We're always told that. So he pushes into it to a level beyond what we can imagine. And what does he say? I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are Meaningless, a chasing after the wind. He continues later Look, I have increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I've experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also the madness of folly. But I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. Now imagine that. Solomon, the smartest person alive, is telling you the more you know can actually be both a blessing and a curse. The more you know doesn't make you happier. It can actually make you sadder. How fascinating. How many times have we sought a subject out, dug deep into it, only to be disappointed with the endings? I always think of this one as like the Netflix series or those, those series that we watched for so long. One of my favorite all the time was Lost. And it started out so good. And we were digging into the characters and learning more about it. And the plot was all interesting. And then it got stupider and stupider. And by the end, the ending was so bad. I'm like, what a waste of my time. This is how they concluded? There's another one like that more recent, but I'm not going to go into it. I, uh, I just find that we see this a lot of times where we dig deeper. Like think of it this way. You want to give your child a bike, and you're so happy to give them the bike. And what you learn about human nature is that there's both good and bad in most people. Because you give your child a bike, and then you learn if you leave that bike outside, someone comes and steals the bike, your child's bike. You're like, what in the world is this? This world is so strange that there could be good and bad in so many things. And the more you learn, the more you find that it's all a little bit convoluted even in religion religious leaders that we have loved and adored for many years we follow their teachings and then all of a sudden there's this huge fall from grace and then you learn that something they were doing in their private life didn't match what they were preaching you could go to entire religious institutions some of the biggest in the world and you find out what was happening behind closed doors and how awful it was and your whole world crumbles because that was the highest of the high this this place that's supposed to be the all-knowledge, wisdom, place of God, and even it lets you down, right? The more you know, the more you gain, the more you understand this world, and this knowledge you bring in, it can actually bring in more and more sorrow. It will never be enough to bring the contentment that this life is supposed to be about or this God is supposed to be about. Even gaining all this wisdom, he shows us that you will end up in some kind of self-medication. And then he goes into all the ways we self-medicate to try and handle this knowledge that we have. The first one, this is chapter two now, is this party hard and live for the weekend style. How many of you, or I shouldn't say it that way, most people have jobs that they don't like that much, or at least they're just trying to get through it, and they live for the weekend, they say, okay, Friday's here, good, I can go out with my buddies afterwards, and maybe have some kind of substance to relax, and then you, you just start to fall into that same groove of every week, just having that moment where you can just be finally releasing in some way, and have that party moment, and just a moment of a joy in the midst of a very difficult week. Well, Solomon writes about it and he says this, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, laughter is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly. My mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. So he's saying life is short so I'll medicate with these parties because everyone's happy in that moment and everyone's having a great time until it's over and then the emptiness just comes flooding back in. Over and over, you, you have these moments and then it's over and then it starts to not live up to the hype and it starts to damage and it just gets weaker and weaker and weaker as it goes. It doesn't bring the meaning that you want in this life. The other ways we self-medicate, I call it more, better, and different. So you get a little bit of money in life, and what do you do? Got to have more. We all, we all do it. Our house gets a little bit bigger. We go from one car to maybe two cars. Our pantry gets a little bit more full of food, and that means our clothes get a little bit bigger as well. And if you look around, and you realize, well, you know what? Everyone I hang out with now has more. More is everywhere. So what do we change to? Better. It's not having two cars or three cars. It's having fancier titles of those cars. Our clothes, it's not about having more clothes, but we may have less clothes with fancier titles on those clothes. All the stuff in the pantry starts to have these really interesting names like organic and artisanal and and just, just things I can't read. And I look at it and go, I think this is granola, but there's 14 titles in the name. Even our pets start to look fancier, right? And we end up with these architecturally built dog houses, right? And we're like, wow, my dog is better than your dog. But then we look around and everyone else also has better. So what do we do then? We move to different and unique. You may have some really nice cars, but look at this one. It comes from this certain place at a certain time, and they only built 500 of them, and 400 of those are destroyed. So I have one of 100. Look, and we have some of the most Unique things that only a few people have. We're involved in the golf club that's not just any golf club. It's the one you have to be invited to by certain people, right? We go from more, better, to different. And it's a way we self-medicate in a world that leaves us wanting constantly. This is Solomon talking about it. And Solomon could do it to a level none of us could ever get to. I undertook great projects I built houses for myself, and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. Notice all that was plural. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well. The delights of a man's heart, I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me, and all this my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing that my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. What did he say? He said it was stupid. He said it was meaningless, and it was, it's absurd that we even do it. And will we hear these words? Because we're told this by people who have money now, and we still chase after it. We still chase after achievements. We still chase after all of this wanting something, and yet it continues to leave us empty. Will we get off this hamster wheel that we all continue to jump on and finally say, God, I hear what you're saying. Now understand something. This isn't about being grateful In fact, a lot of times what you have, you look at God and you go, why am I not more thankful and grateful for what you've given to me? Why don't I feel contentment? This isn't you saying, you know, all that God's blessed me with, I'm going to ignore and I'm going to treat it like it's all meaningless. No, you're thankful for what God has given to you. You're just so, you struggle with the idea of not getting the meaning and the feeling and the contentment that it's supposed to be giving. There's something wrong with it. And that is what he's digging into. As he continues this chapter, he goes to the end, he starts talking about work, how we can begin to do this self-medication of work. And as a pastor, I don't really struggle with drugs and some of those other vices because it can be pretty heavy consequences for a pastor. But this self-medication of work, called workaholism. See, working is healthy. Overworking is not. I can get fired for drinking too much, but if I work too much, I can get promoted. I can get raises, right? It's an interesting, interesting world we live in where you're patted on the back if you tell everyone how busy you are all the time. If your first words to people are always like, I'm so busy, they're like, good job, until you fall off that cliff because you're just so stressed And Solomon writes about it like this I hated all the things, this is verse 18, all the things that I had toiled for under the sun, because I must leave them to one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish. Yet they will have control over all the fruit of my toil into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. What do people get for all the toil and the anxious striving? With which they labor under the sun. All their days, their work is grief and pain. Even at night, their minds do not rest. Any of you ever go to bed at night and your mind is just racing from all the stuff that you need to get done still, all the work and the things that are still going on, and you're thinking about tomorrow? Does that relate to anyone? Because he showed us this 3,000 years ago and we're still trying to figure this out. This too is meaningless. This doesn't mean we all stop working. It's not what he's getting at. It's all about where you're finding meaning and contentment. Because if you're trying to find it in work or the other things that I've talked about, you will feel empty. The other one he hits at the end here is overeating. It's a self-medication as well. And if you think about it, obesity is a killer. In fact, it kills three times more people than malnutrition and some of these other vices that we've talked about. And if it doesn't kill you, it can still cripple you. And the problem, again, is the world we live in. We live in a world that celebrates this. How many times have you been invited over to someone's house, and they feed you tofu and bean sprouts, and you're just so thankful for the healthy meal they're bringing for you, right? That's not usually the case. And in fact, whatever they bring you, it's so good, If you go back for seconds, they're like, way to go. They pat you on the back because you did something. You're a good eater. And after you finish your seconds, there's going to be a fantastic dessert, right? This is the world that we live in, and the church potluck could be one of the most dangerous parts of our world if we're not careful. And here's what Solomon writes about it in verse 24. A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink And find satisfaction in in their own toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without Him, who can eat or find enjoyment? Now, here's this is what's so interesting. If you pull this verse out of context, it sounds like it's saying something that it's not. This is why you have to read this book all together, because knowing what's before and what's after tells you that he's being sarcastic. He's saying, okay, what this life is about is I'm going to be eating and drinking and working for what? Thanks, God. Thanks a lot. Because I don't understand that this world, this is what we do? We just eat, drink, work, and die? That's what we're here for? So you have to understand how he's writing. And all of this stuff, if we're not careful, will leave us empty. We have to read on and understand that he is showing us that if we're not careful, and if we don't sit in this moment for a little bit, we will get caught in this hamster wheel that we're just running like everyone else, even though we've seen over and over, it doesn't work. Will we learn from this? Will we learn that no matter matter how much we see, we will never be satisfied? No matter how much we get, we will want more. And when we eat something amazing and wonderful, we're going to want to eat it. Again, In fact, our stomach will expand so that we can fit more in. That's so interesting. Our body will literally make more room so we can put more in, and we will still feel empty when it does it. We'll want it again, and it will keep doing that as far as we'll take it. There's no finish line. You won't work enough, eat enough, gain enough to ever reach a finish line. There's never going to be enough. So is everyone completely depressed? Because that's what the writer of Ecclesiastes wants, he wants you to get to this point and say, okay, yeah, God, heaven, you've read, most, you've read much of the Bible to know there's a lot more going on. But this writer wants you to look around and say, have you seen how stupid it all is? Because you need to see that to understand how great God is and that God has something very different happening here. There's a whole other plan going on, but if we don't get our eyes on the right things, we will get caught up in this absurd world. The one that does this, I love this. It comes way later in the book, but it says this, the race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned. But time and chance happen to them all. I'm borrowing from chapter seven because it's what it's getting at is the world is weird. And it's not really fair. Sometimes good things happen to bad people, and sometimes bad things happen to good people. And if you look, sometimes those who are winning, it's not right. That's the world we live in. And once we understand that, once we see all the peaks destroyed, we can then sit in it for a moment and say, God, what do you have for me? Is God's plans different? I'm gonna give you one tool, it's at the bottom of your notes. Just ask yourself this question each day. It'll help a little bit. What do I need to do or not do so I can live today in a way that will help me thrive tomorrow? That's not an easy quip, but it's something I've looked at and said, okay, I don't always need to add something. Sometimes I need to stop something. Well, what can I do that will help me thrive tomorrow? Not gain more stuff, not do more at work, not so I can get more accolades, but what is the thing I need to do with God that will help me thrive tomorrow? What do I need to do or not do so I can live today in a way that will help me thrive tomorrow? Maybe it's something with God today where you spend time with him. Maybe you need to rest so that you're stronger tomorrow. Maybe you need to invest into yourself Some me time. Not more, not higher, not more achievements, but something about you so you can thrive tomorrow. Reexamine your life to make sure you're not chasing the meaningless, chasing the wind, if you will, or chasing stupidity. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for this book, and I thank you for the many examples that you've given us. Lord, we continue to see generation after generation chase the exact same things, tell us how unfulfilling it is, and then we do it again. Lord, I pray we get off that hamster wheel. Help us, Lord, to see in this book what you're trying to stop us from. And it's not an easy book. It doesn't have the nice bows that many others do, but it's so much truth. So, Lord, we step into you and what you have for us, the path that you're doing, those are truly unique. With every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're in this room this morning, one of the first steps to this whole thing is just accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's a journey. There's many moments along the way, but the Bible speaks of making a public confession. Of your faith, I'm not going to pull you up front or do anything weird, but if you're in this room and you're saying, you know, this is really hitting me, but I don't really know what's next. That first step is just this relationship with Jesus Christ who died for our sins so that we can spend eternity with him. There's a lot of fun stuff we talk about in the Bible that, that surrounds that particular issue, but it starts with just a relationship with him. I'm not gonna do anything weird, but if you are in this room and you're saying, that's me, I need to start with Jesus. Will you just take a moment and put your hand in the air and say, I need this God. I need this Jesus in my life and I'm ready to make that commitment. Just lift it up. Amen. Anyone else? Just lift it up. And secondly, how many of you feel like you're on that hamster wheel. And you need to say, God, I'm sorry because I keep chasing after the wind. Again, I want you to make a public confession. Just raise your hand and say, that's me. I've got to change this in my life. And I want to pray for you. Just lift up your hand. Amen. Anyone else? Amen. God, we We appreciate your honesty, Lord, and I appreciate the honesty of those in this room and just willingness to step into something else. We may not know what that is yet, Lord, but we just, we give it to you. Your will be done.